grateful for the privilege of sharing his word with you this morning. So uh, how many brought your Bibles this morning? Hold them up. The paper Bibles, I know some of you are like, yeah, we're going back to the paper Bibles. Why? Because we've said it over and over and over, and we will continue to. If you don't have one of these, let me know. I will get you one. But we, we've become so technological that we, I think, miss the, the thought of just opening this book and opening our hearts to it. There's something really profound about that experience where it's like I'm on intentionally slowing myself down to open my heart to his word, and, uh, and, and, and I'm glad we have the chance to do that together this morning, but the hope is that that would become the regular routine of your life. Uh, I want to say thanks to Zach Brown for sharing last week. Oh man, another, another good word. Um, if you weren't here, he talked about the, the most dangerous prayer he's ever prayed, and sharing a bit of his testimony and what God has done in and through his life. Man, if you're going through some tough stuff, Watch that message because there's incredible hope uh, through uh, what he had to share. And, and, and uh, you can find it on our YouTube channel, uh, on Spotify, on a whole bunch of places. Thanks to Chris Stone for helping make sure that always happens. It's great. So this morning we're going to jump in um, and talk about uh, shift gears a little bit from what we were, ch- uh, the series that we were in. And I want to talk about vision and mission today. I want to talk about the vision and mission of, of uh, Kingsway, of our church. Uh, there's been, you know, lots of questions going around. Like, people are looking at, like, this morning going, like, when are they going to build a building and make more room for us? You know, there's, like, all these little kids uh, r- running around. Or, or, you know, are we going to do a church plant? Um, asking questions. Mark, are you staying? Are you going? Like, we'd like to know. All of these questions I've asked myself. This summer, I took a long, hard look at my, at my life. Uh, and spent two months um, and grateful to our team for allowing me to take that time to just do a good look at what was going on here. Also, you know, I wasn't supposed to be thinking about church because that's part of my job, but I can't help it. I love you guys. And so I thought a lot about you over the summer. And uh, what I realized about, the, you know, the, the question of mission, why do we do what we're doing? Why do we do any of the stuff that we're doing? Why do we, why do, we do Sunday morning church? Like, wh- what's the real reason? Why do we do any of it? And, uh, you know, as I thought about it, and then we have like a mission statement, um, but what I realized is that we've actually been living on a borrowed mission statement for decades, for pretty much as long as Kingsway's been around, you know, having a mission statement that actually came from somewhere else, which is fine. Because as I thought about it, I'm like, how, you know, I was like, I knew the church has to have a vision and mission statement, but, um, it, you know, how, how do you come up with such a thing? Like, how do you word such a document? And I would, I remember maybe you were here back in the day where it was like, you know, pr- we, we're producing passionate followers of Jesus. And, and uh, you know, then it shifted a few times. And then uh, anybody know what our most current mission statement is? So Chris knows because he puts it on the, uh, on the website. Freedom, to be, to, to be honest, how many of you did not know that? Just uh, raise your hands. Yeah, and then some of you are lying, and some of you just don't raise your hands for anything. But you kind of make my point. It's like, uh, what? I, 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 sure, I, I, didn't, I, I knew that we maybe had one, but didn't really know what it was. And, um, and, and to me, that, that really spoke to me, because it's a borrowed statement. We, should, we adjusted some words, but it was kind of like, ah, it seems like us, you know, let's do that. But this summer, there was a friend of mine. He uh, gave me this book to read, and uh, I had lots of these spiritual books I was going to read, and uh, I did read uh, many of them. But he, he passed me this book about this baseball team called the Savannah Bananas. Anybody familiar with the Savannah Bananas? They are like a minor league team that makes as much money as a major league team. They are like, they, when they said, when Jesse Cole was like, I'm going I'm to put a team in Savannah called the Bananas, they were like, they almost rejected it. They're like, no, we're going to be the laughing stock. And he's like, no, 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 
Just go with me here for a second. Nobody, I mean, people watch Major League Baseball. Nobody watches this other, you know, any of the other baseball uh, leagues. He's like, but they're going to watch our team. You, you can count on it. He bet everything on it, his home, everything on it, that they, the Savannah Bananas, would be something. And so he, what, what happened, he just came up with his vision, this, this branding. He's like, we're not going to play, we're not just going to be a baseball team. We're going to be a circus where baseball happens. And he's like, he decided, I'm going to get a yellow tux, and I'm going to be like the, the face of the Savannah Bananas, and the brand took off. They actually go on tour now uh, to play as a baseball team, and people go and watch because they do crazy stuff. And he said to me, he says, Mark, you know, the church has, does, has lost its branding. It doesn't, it doesn't know who it is. He's like, you really need to read this book. And I was like, uh, okay. So I, I, it was the very first book I read. And, and normally when I read books, it, it takes a long, long time. I read this in a day. And as I read through it, I would ask these questions about, you know, just from a perspective of why, what's the one thing in your life? What, what, why, why are you created the way you're created? Why are you designed the way you're designed? Totally non-Christian in, in all of its things. Um, but there was this, the, the, the way that question thought, what's, what's just the one thing? Like, what is it that God has created me to do, to be on this plant, to be a part of this church for? What is it? He said, by the end of the book, you should know. And I was like, yeah, right, whatever. But by the end of the book, there were six words that just clearly came to mind. It's this, helping people find Christ in community. That, that's the one thing that I feel resonates in my heart over, over everything else. It's to help people find Christ and find community. As I thought as a leader of this uh, church, one of the leaders, there's this, this th- desire to serve this congregation well. To say, let's, let's help find a way to be on mission together. His mission, but what does it look like? And when you read that, you're like, helping people find Christ in community. Well, that doesn't sound all that groundbreaking. That's not rocket science. And for many of you who know me, rocket science and I don't get along anyways. So for those, who are, for those who've been fishing with me, you know. Um, but it's not flowery. It's not like a word salad. It's, just, it's, just, it's, it's not even cool. It's just simple. It's just clear. It's doable. It's livable. It's portable. It's memorable. It's not on the screen. But what is it? No, no, it's not on the screen. Because I bet you you could probably repeat it back to me already. Helping people what? Find Helping people find Christ in community. I'm like, here's all these times where we're like, man, we have to have this, this thing. But what we genuinely need is something that just permeates everything that we do. Why do we do all that we're going to do? Are we going to build a building? Are we going to do all of these things? It's like, wow, well, maybe I'm wondering these thoughts. But for me, it's just, it's just this clear. Do we, it, will building a building help us help people find Christ? Because if it doesn't, then there's no need for it. If people aren't finding Christ, we, we don't need a building. You know, if we're going to do uh, small groups, what's the purpose? To help people find Christ. Why worship? To help people find Christ. Not just, to, not just to sing songs. I was saying last night, you can just sing songs anytime. You can sing songs, and you can sing country music in your car. You probably don't find Christ in that um, encounter, but maybe you do. Uh, but I, I sure couldn't. You know, we can sing songs anywhere, but in this moment, it's like, man, we want to find Christ. Not, not miss out on any of those moments. Help uh, with, with, with kids' church. What is it? Oh, I'm going to go babysit those brats and hopefully get a crown in heaven. No, no, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's to help those young people find Christ for themselves. And so 
as I thought about this, I was like, man, you know, the, the, the helping people find Christ, I just, I want to touch, touch, touch base on this, these two thoughts over the next two weeks. And so I want to start with part one tonight. So if you are this morning, if you've got paper, take notes, grab paper, there's free paper right there on the floor. I'd encourage you to take notes, especially for the second half. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of bullet point verses that I would love for you to go home and look up because it matters. My hope this morning is that you didn't hear just a good sermon because I don't know if it's good. What I hope is that you find Christ in this moment, and we'll talk about that this morning. So let's, and maybe you're like, well, I'm already a Christian. Buckle up. Let's go. Finding, finding Christ. Finding Christ to me is that word find. I use it because it's simple, but it's not fully explanatory of what, I'm, what I mean. Finding Christ means to discover and pursue. Finding means discover and pursue. Two things. It's like, it's like mining. A friend of mine, uh, he's part of a a mining company. They talk about, you know, the samples that they find in the ground. The samples are what, what tells you that there's something there. You know, maybe back in the, you know, in the old movies, you like those, those guys are like, there's gold in them there hills, which is great unless, you know, but it's no good to, uh, to anybody unless they actually go out and mine it. You know, the, the samples is the, it's the discovery. There's gold there, but then there's a second step where it's like, okay, I'm going to pursue it until I get it all. And that is what finding Christ is all about. There's a discovery part of it. It's like, oh my goodness, this is who Christ is. And this is what salvation is. And then there's a pursuit from then on till I get all of it. And I believe that we need to be a church that helps people with both. Finding Christ, discovering Christ, and pursuing Christ. So let's, uh, you know, the, the thought is this, why? Why does it matter? Why does that matter? Why is that the most important thing? And here's why. If you're taking notes, write this one down. Finding Christ is the most important thing in life. Finding Christ is the most important thing in this life. Period. Period. You know, there's lots of important things in life, but there's only one most important thing. And, and so maybe your most important thing is different, but I would encourage you to think about this for a second. Like, you can't have multiple BFFs. You have one best friend. That's because there's the, the, the best. And, and when there's lots of important things in life, for instance, there's school. It's important. Getting a job, important. You know, getting a career, a relationship, just got to get a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is. That's important. Marriage, family, health, future plans. There's lots of important things. And maybe for you, it's like, yeah, that's what I'm like. The most important thing is for me to get my license, you know, or the most important thing is for me to get, you know, get, to buy a house or whatever it is. What's your most important thing? Because there can only be one most. And, you know, how do you figure that out? How do you figure out, well, this is, this is the most important thing. Like, if everybody can have different ones, how, how, can we say there's, that you, how can you say that finding Christ is the most important thing? You know, as uh, Jesus was teaching people with his disciples in the crowds, he, he found ways to, to help them figure this out. So let's take a look at that together. If you got your Bible, go to Matthew. So start flipping towards the back till you see some red letters. You're close. Matthew chapter 16. Oh, what a glorious sound. Pages turning. (laughs) Pages stopping. We must be there. Matthew 16, 24. You know, Jesus is talking to his disciples. In this current one, he's he's mentioned to a few others. Just uh, as you follow along in the New Living, he says this. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If, if you want to be my follower, here's what's required. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it because everybody does. I don't know if you know that. 10 out of 10 die. That's basically what he's saying. If you try and hang on, there's, you can't. You will lose it. But he says, but if you actually give up your life for my sake, you will save it. 
Verse 26, what do you benefit? I think you didn't even put the word in there, really. What do you really benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And I encourage you this morning, just think about that for a second, because that's why Jesus is having this conversation. He's like, let me help you figure out what's most important. Think about the things you think are important in this life and just go far enough into the future where you gain them all. What does it look like if you gained everything you were pursuing? Uh, What would that result be? Like if you got the job, you got the promotion, you got the career, you finally got to that spot, but in the end, you lost your soul as a result. Would it have been worth it? What about that relationship? You're like, oh, I just want to date that girl. You know, I prayed. God didn't answer, so I'm just going to pursue. I just want to be married. Oh, it's like that's all I want. I just want to have a family. That's my, that's my end goal. But what if you got all that, and in the end, you lost your soul? What if it was like, oh, I just want to be famous on Instagram. I'm going to do as much as I can, or I'm going to like try and get a following on um, Amway or whatever MLM company it might be, or you know, I want to be like a famous YouTuber. I'm going to invest all my time, but in the end, you lost your soul. Would it be worth it? And what I'm not saying is that by doing all of those things, you lose your soul. Some of you are like, Wait, what? Like, I got married and I have eight kids. You know, did I lose my soul? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, or seven kids, or six kids, or five, whatever. Not, not pointing anybody out. Did I lose my, <laughs> did, I lo- <laughs> did I lose my soul? I think I know what's getting edited out of this message. Um, did, I lo- <laughs> did, I lose my, did I lose my soul? You know, and it, you know, Jesus is saying, he says to anyone, what would you trade for your soul? And I think the answer is pretty clear for us. If we had to think about it, I lost my soul, I would trade all of it. I would trade, like, whatever I gained, I would actually trade all of that for my soul, for me, for my life. And realize it matters. William Tyndale, I don't know if you know him. Um, well, you probably don't. He's dead. But he was martyred on October 6th, uh, so this week, in 1536. And we think about this guy. Maybe you're like, you have no idea who he is. But William Tyndale is somebody we owe a lot of gratitude to. William Tyndale was a man who was convinced that the Bible alone should determine the practices and the doctrines of the church. No popes, no other people who would say this is what it should be. No, he's like the Bible alone. And he says, and to be, so that people understand that that's actually what's happening. He says he's convinced that every person should be able to read the Bible in their known language, his being English. And so he translated the Bible from Greek to English so that the common person could read it in their own language, you know, four or five hundred years ago. And uh, as a result of that, the people kind of in the powers that be, they're like, we don't want that. We don't want people reading the Bible for themselves. So they arrested him. They suffocate him. They burn him at the stake. But William Tyndale was confident of one thing. The most important thing is that people need to know Christ for themselves. They need to be able to know Christ for themselves. They need to be able to open the book. And for us today, any of you who've read scripture today, Man, any of you have ever read the Bible in English? You have that man to thank and as a man who believed that that was the most important thing in life. Because the truth is, finding Christ is the most important thing in this life, period. So I want to be a church that helps people find Christ. Second, finding Christ is the only way back to God. And I say the only way back to God because there's... And it's hard to go deep into this this morning and we can't really because we don't have time, but... I don't know about about you, but there's this realization in every person that something in the world isn't quite right. You know, everybody has it, regardless of what they think the the not right is. They think there's something not quite right with this planet. It's polar sides of both political sides think the other side's not quite right. Things going on in the world, not quite right. 
You look at the abortion issue right now. There's some who say, that's not quite right. And others are like, you putting your, your rules on me, that's not quite right. We, there's this thing, it's not right. Something's, something's busted. You know, we also, and, and, and this thought of like, why is there a right to, that we even think is, is kind of broken? Something in us. Nobody tells us that. We just know something in us is, is not quite right. Then we compare ourselves to animals and think, you know, animals don't have this sense of morality. They don't have this sense of like this guilt complex of the wrong they've done. I was saying last night, like, uh, I have this bull that I borrowed from the DeYoungs, and it gored a horse to death before it came to my house. And it hasn't been asking me every day for counseling. You know, like, I've murdered a horse. I don't know how I can live with my... It doesn't care. It's a bull. So, but why do we have this sense of morality and, like, man, these things that I ought to do or should do? And, and, and for some, they're like, well, I don't, really, I don't really believe in that. Until someone else does you wrong, you're like, well, they ought to have not done that. They should. Why do we, have, why do we hold people to, a, to this moral standard? And where did it originate? You know, as Jesus followers, Christians, we say, hey, it, it came from here. Scripture actually reveals to us where all of that stuff that we, we know intuitively where it actually came from. See, Scripture teaches us that the world did not happen by accident, and it's not to be meant to be chaotic. Look at the seasons. How many of you are enjoying the beautiful fall colors? You know, aren't you glad it didn't just skip straight to winter? Well, how did we know it was going to come again, right? Some of you are like, you bought your wardrobe because you knew it was going like, to match. I see all the buffalo check, right? Like, you knew this is a, this is a season. It's, it's going to come. Nobody, none of us thought, oh, it's fall might not happen this year. No, because there's this, there's this design that is always, it's always um, something we can, be, we can count on. It's not by accident. Scripture teaches us that this world is clearly designed from the atom to the atmosphere for human life. That's why it's meant to sustain life. That's not, that's not evolution or a big bang or it, it just isn't it's way way too precise some are like oh it's the goldilocks zone no no it's not it is designed see many want to suppress that knowledge because it, it's like it goes against other things in our life and we'll get to that but scripture also teaches us that man humanity is simply not biology you're not just a, a mess of like uh, of parts you're something incredibly valuable more valuable than anything else on the planet and we know that we might, you know, some may not think that all humanity is valuable, but they for sure think they are. And we say, hey, humanity is the most important things. Humans are the most important things on the planet. Many will be like, yeah, I agree with that. Yes, we're something. Secular humanism, atheism, all of it's like, yes, we are the most important thing. And that's where they want to draw the line because scripture goes on to tell us this. Not only are you the most valuable thing on the planet, you are profoundly broken. I am profoundly broken, is what scripture says. There was a perfection. We know there was something right. And we also know we're not there right now. Something's broken. I don't know what, but I know it is. And it's that brokenness that scripture teaches us. It's this thing called sin. You are at odds with the gods. (laughs) More clearly, you are at odds with the God. The creator of all of this organized thing. You are at odds with him. And you know it inside intuitively. And that understanding is like, okay, I, 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 can, I don't like the sound of it, but I can see that, yeah, I, I'm, I'm bro- I'm, there's brokenness here. But I have no ability to fix it. No matter what we try, there's no ability to fix that. We're at odds, and we need a pathway back to Christ. We need a pathway back to God. You know, and that's what religion has always been. All the religions of the world, it's this. How do we find a pathway back to God? For some, it's a pathway back to the creator. For others, it's a pathway to whoever they want to call God. For, for humanism, it's like, it's the pathway to my best self. I'm God, and i got to find my pathway back to the best me. 
You know, we think about this. Jesus actually came to the world for this purpose, to tell men there is a pathway back to God and to create that pathway for them. John 14, 6, you don't have to turn there. It's very famous. Jesus told his disciples when they said, how do we get to heaven? He's like, this is how. I am what? The The way. Not a way. I'm not a way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And just in case you are, have a secondary question, what do you mean by the way? He's like this. No one can come to the Father except through me. There is, like, that sounds kind of exclusive. Yeah, it is. You know, in our culture where it's like, oh, there's all these pathways to have, as long as people are trying their best, as long as people are being decent, Jesus is like, I got none of that. There's only one way, and it's me. I'm sorry. There is no other way to the Father. That is a big deal. Because either people find Jesus or they have no hope. If we believe scripture to be true, if we believe the words of Jesus to be true, then we need to help people find Jesus or they have no hope. Not find church, not find a nice group of people, not find any of those things, find Christ. You know, the disciples, as they would preach, they would preach these very same words. Acts 4.12, they said to the crowd in Jerusalem, Peter says, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we might be saved There's no other place where you find forgiveness of sin. There's no other place you find the pathway back to God. It is in Christ alone. So be a church that helps people find Christ alone. You know, Jesus explained it many times. So just turn to the right. We're going to go to Luke chapter 13. So flip a few there. You're going to pass Mark. That's a great book, but we're going to skip it today. Luke 13, verse 22. Here's what Jesus explains to them. Jesus went through the towns and the villages teaching as he went. He was always pressing on towards Jerusalem, and someone from the crowd asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? Man, here's the Savior of the world, the one who came to save everyone, and they simply ask him, like, okay, Jesus, I have a question. It's a good one. How many people are getting in? Like, is everyone getting saved? Is it just 144,000? How many? Like, what is it? How many? And here's Jesus' answer to them. He replied, work hard to enter the narrow door. So he doesn't give a number, but he gives a command. What's he really saying? You can add the word you, because it's a, it's, a, it's a personal response. He says, he replied to them, hey, how many are getting in? Let me just say this. You, you work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom, for many are going to try to enter it, but they will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, he doesn't say if, he's like when. There's a time coming when the door will be locked. And he says, and it will be too late. You'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he'll reply, I don't know you or where you come from. And then you're going to say things like this, but we ate and we drank with you, you know, and you taught in our streets. Jesus, we heard you talk. And he'll reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all of you who do evil. Man, that is some heavy stuff. You're like, that doesn't sound like a loving Jesus. (laughs) It is extremely, extremely loving. When somebody asks that question, Jesus, how many are getting in? And the question is kind of like, am I? Am I getting in? He's like, you work hard to find that narrow door. Because there's lots of people who are going to miss it. And who are they? They're going to be people, modern days, who sit in churches and think, oh, I heard the sermons. I, I believed there was a Jesus. And he's like, you're going to be the ones knocking at the door someday. And he's going to say, sorry, it's too late. You missed something. You missed something. You're like, wait a second. You know, he talks in other places about a narrow way. 
He's like, man, it's a narrow way to the kingdom of heaven. It's a narrow door. It's not easy. See, the good news isn't that there's an easy way back to God. That's not the good news. The good news is that there is a way back to God. For some of us, we're like, oh, I just want something easy. I just love that. That's those sermons where like, God has a great plan for your life. He's got all these good things in store for you. Just come, just, you know, just say a prayer and you're in, you're good. It's all going to be good. And, and you, you know, just accept Jesus into your, into the, the rest of your life and it's going to be okay. And, 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 and Jesus says, the truth is there's going to be a lot of people who are not on that path. There's going to be a lot of people who don't get that door. And the question is this, are you? Am I? Are we on that path? It's, it's important for us to consider that today. And that's why it's so important for us to help people discover Christ. If he's the only way, man, we better be a church that helps point people to the only way. You know, uh, I was reading through some things. I came across some quotes by a guy named uh, Basil Hume. He's actually a cardinal, Catholic cardinal, but he had a really great, great thoughts to say on this. He said, finding, finding Christ isn't actually something that we're doing. It's not something that we muster up. It's like, okay, i got to find Christ. It's actually our response to what he's already done. Yeah. 2,000 years ago, he came and laid his life down for us already. Since the day you were born, his spirit has been yearning for you because you were born broken. And he's been calling out to you, come, follow me. If any of you want to follow me, if any of you want to follow me, he's calling. And so for us, it's our response um, to him. It's that, that's what's happening. We're responding to something he's already done. You know, and the thing is, it's not encouraging people to join a church to behave better or say a prayer. We can have so many sermons say at the end, hey, go and do this, do that. But that, that's not what it is. You know, as, uh, the, the saying a prayer, you know, where so many people, that's what their Christianity with North America was based on. I, I said a prayer. Do you know what, you know, so I'm reading a book called Total Truth by Nancy Piercy, and she's, uh, she talks about the origin of this in North America. Where did that come from? Because it wasn't always the case. You know, anybody been to Billy Graham Crusades back in the day? Yeah, where you like, you said a prayer and it was like, or you saw thousands of people coming to say a prayer. Where did that come from? You know, in North America, it actually came from uh, in the 1800s during the gold rush. You know, back in the day when people were part of churches on the East Coast, they would spend time in the church. Uh, every week they'd hear the gospel being preached. They'd ask questions back and forth about who Jesus is. They'd feel the conviction in their heart and be like, oh, I've got to wrestle with this. But, oh, man, this sounds right. And they began to follow Christ. But then what happened? The, the gold rush happened and people began to go out, out west to, to find gold. And, and the people who typically went out west, they said it was this. It was mostly men because it was tough terrain. There was some disreputable women who also went along. Uh, and then there was a bunch of criminals who were like, I want to leave my old life behind and go out west, you know, maybe start a new life. And as they went out there, there was men who felt like the calling to go and witness to these, to these people going out west. And so they would get on horseback, they would ride out to these camps along the way, and they begin to preach. And those people there, they had nothing else to do. So if somebody came and was like, hey, I'll put on a good show for you and preach this, this thing, they'd be like, well, okay, you know, let's go listen. And what the horseback riding preachers realized is that they were like, okay, they, they'd have these things to say, listen, come back next Sunday. We're going we're gonna to have another one. Next Sunday, half the people are gone. Where'd they go? Well, they went west. They're going further, further um, for the gold. And they started realizing something. We don't have a lot of time with these people. We've got to make these moments count. And so they would ride west and catch up to the group again. And they'd have these sermons where they'd be like, well, I only have so much time. So I've got to preach to these people who are just showing up for a, for a show. I've got to get them to the gates of hell, so they realize how rotten of a sinner they are, and we got to get them to make some sort of decision right here, right now, because we don't know how much time they have, and who wants to follow Christ? Come say a prayer, you're in, and lots of people would say a prayer, you're in, and move out west, and nobody would ever hear from them again. You know, that happened until they had populated the west, and yet 
this whole thing has influenced kind of the North American church ever since then. But is it, is it right? Is it right? Because I don't know about you, but that's kind of how I got saved way back in the day. You know, said a prayer, and then you think, oh, you know, it's good. Or you go to camp, and they're like, hey, you say this prayer and write the date down in your Bible. You know, if you ever doubt your salvation, you just got to go back to that page in your Bible and be like, this is the day I said the prayer. This is the day I said the prayer. You know, as I read about this, I realize the disciples didn't teach people to say a prayer. They did not, and we shouldn't either. Oh, yeah, there might be a prayer involved, but there's much more. Reading through Acts and reading about how the disciples shared the gospel with people, we can see it, so just keep going right. Acts chapter 2. Keep going right. says this, Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 36. So let everyone in Israel... So Peter had just preached a sermon to them, and this is kind of his final point. He said, let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. That's a pretty bold statement. To tell a crowd of people that's 5,000 plus, hey, you guys killed Jesus. <laughs> yeah, Peter, we're coming for you next, right? Like, but that didn't happen. He's like, this guy you killed... God raised him from the dead. You're guilty for his death. But God raised him from the dead and made him Lord and um, Messiah, Lord and Savior. And then what does he say to them? Uh, Those words hit their heart. Peter's words pierced their heart. And they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, please repeat this prayer after me and you'll be good. Oh, wait, no. No, no, as you're following along, maybe underline this. What did he say? Each of you, this is an individual thing. This isn't a crowd thing. Each of you must repent of your sins. Means turn away from them, turn around, and turn to God. Go in a different direction. Be baptized. This washing of of renewal, it says, in the name of Jesus Christ, for or because of the forgiveness of your sins, because you've been forgiven. That's the big deal. You need forgiveness of sin. And he says, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of you there was none of this like just say a prayer there was this whole this process of i got to turn around from where i was going and i got to turn towards towards god and i i got to receive his spirit into my life and be baptized realizing this has happened and so here's the the third point finding christ uh isn't just a prayer but it's a pursuit it's a devotion not just a decision it's a marriage not just a wedding not just a wedding. Uh, Esther and Noah got married last weekend. It was a great, great uh, uh, event. It was beautiful. It made me think of uh, this thought. You know, what if, what if Esther, this is not them, but uh, <laughs> they're much better looking than this couple. So Noah and Esther get married. But what happens if after the wedding, um, all of a sudden they decide, yeah, we made it. We got to the wedding. You know, we don't need to talk to each other anymore. We're good. I don't really care to get to know you anymore. I feel like I know everything I need to know. We're good. I spend time together. No, 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 no. We're, we're good. How many of you know they're meeting with a pastor real soon? Yeah. Our marriage isn't working. <laughs> marriage in trouble. You know, at the wedding, I even said to Noah, Noah, you've pursued this girl since kindergarten. Don't stop today. Pursue her for the rest of your life. And what a great reminder to each of us that, who are married that that's what it is. But you know what? The, the marriage weddings are their picture of Christ in the church. That's that thought. So how many of us, we would like, we would never think that about a marriage or a wedding. We think there's something in trouble there, but we live our Christianity that way. <laughs> I said a prayer. I'm good. Pursue Christ. Know Christ more today. Really like dig in and to know him, to be with, spend time with him. What? Man, there's a spiritual relationship in trouble. So the, the truth is we want to help Christians find Christ 
every day in this church. That may seem a little foreign sometimes. We need to help Christians pursue Christ every day in this church. Why? Because if we're not pursuing Christ every day, we are pursuing something else. It's that clear. If you're not pursuing Christ, you are pursuing something else. I don't know what it, it could be anything. Happiness, pride, lust, money, cares of the world, self-righteousness, sin. It could be anything. But you are pursuing something else. You know, Jesus talked often about a tree is known by its fruit. And, and so often we'll preach sermons about the fruit. Oh, he's swearing too much. You should stop doing that. You know, you're kind of doing these things. Oh, you should probably try and stop doing that. You should try and pray more. You should try and do these things more. All things we say fruit. But I don't know if you live in Haldeman County, we got these trees called thorn trees. Uh, if I go and hang a few apples on it, does it do anything to the tree? It's not a trick question. No, it doesn't do anything to the tree. That's Jesus' point. You hang some good works, you hang some things on your life, you hang a few of these things, it didn't change anything. It does not change the tree. And so what is, what is Jesus saying? He's like, don't try and deal with all the fruit. You can't make fruit happen. He's like, pursue me. You do that, and the fruit will grow. If there's no fruit, it's because you're not pursuing me. It is that clear. Man, and I thought about this in the beginning of the summer. This was the thing that grabbed my heart and was like, Mark, you are not truly pursuing me. You're trying so hard to please everybody by putting all the right fruit up there. It's worthless. Pursue me. That is the essence of Christianity. If we're not pursuing Christ every day, Christianity gets very convoluted. That's, I think, the problem with the church that we'll see in North America is it's going all kinds of crazy ways right now. As culture's getting crazier and crazier, the church is like, well, how do we adapt? How do we stay relevant? How do we do this? And we try and change all of these things to be accepting, to be loving, to be whatever we want to call it. But it gets really, really convoluted if we stop pursuing Christ. Paul wrote letters to the churches dealing with these things. You know, because we'll be tempted to, you know, if, if we don't pursue Christ, we'll be tempted to justify sin rather than embrace our justification. That's a big word, but it means the freedom from sin. Romans 6, verse 1, if you want to go towards the right, Romans 6, verse 1. Here's what Paul's writing to them because he says this, if you don't pursue Christ, you'll be tempted to justify sin rather than celebrate the justification or the freedom from it. Verse 6, verse 1, in, in chapter 5, he talks about how amazing God's grace is, and we would agree, his grace covers everything. You, there's no sin that's so terrible that God's grace can't wash it clean. That's what's amazing about grace. But here's where Paul says to them, he says, verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 6, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? It's a good question. It makes sense, right? If God's grace is so wonderful, it actually looks better the worse we are. So why don't we just keep sinning? Because it makes his grace look that much better. And Paul's like, that's a good question, but here's the answer. Verse 2, of course not. Certainly not. Exclamation parts, absolutely not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? And then skip to verse 13. He says this, don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin because you're serving instead. He's like, give yourselves completely to God. No, not just like say a prayer and add Jesus to your life. He's like, no, give your life completely, completely to God. You know, the thing for us is the same. If Paul's writing to believers, he wrote to the Corinthians about it, wrote to Galatians about it, writes to Romans about it, he could write to Kingsway about it. There's things in your life that you're justifying. It's actually an indicator that you're not pursuing Christ. It's just that simple. Man, and I, I'm scared for some of the things I, that I've seen in our, in our church, uh, in, in Christianity, North American Christianity, and it's even in our own area, the, the compromise that happens in the name of Christ. It, it's, it's dangerous. It's self-deceiving. 
There's people that think, you know, we can live with our boyfriend or girlfriend and that's okay because, you know, God's got grace. Or like, you know, the, the, the addiction that I wrestle with, you know, I can't give it up. He knows how hard I've tried. I'm just going to live with it. I've been there. It's self-deceiving and it's not the truth. Oh, well, I was born this way, you know, so that must be that my attractions and whatever, God must have done that in my life. No, we are born broken, and every one of us is responsible for the way we uh, conduct our lives in these bodies he's given us. The justification of it leads us to compromise, and if we compromise long enough, you'll begin to think that God's okay with it. You know, two weeks ago, I preached a message. Maybe you might remember it. It goes like this, where you... I can't believe it. That's two whole weeks ago. Where you linger longer, you'll long to linger. And it fits in this thing. And there's the boom where you think it's okay. And you begin to justify it in your own mind and then think he's okay with it. And what happens is this. And you may have heard it as well. We're tempted to create Jesus in our image rather than surrender to his lordship. We will be tempted to create a Jesus in our image rather than surrender to his lordship. I hear people talking about my Jesus My Jesus, my Jesus just wants me to be happy. No, he doesn't. My my Jesus only shows the nice, accepting kind of love. No, he doesn't. My Jesus is all about grace. My Jesus lets everyone into heaven. You're creating something that's not Jesus. You would be better off to make this statement. My Jesus is a liar because he tells me the opposite of everything in his word. You want to serve that Jesus? Good luck. Good luck. Because the truth is, there is no my Jesus or your Jesus. There's only Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the New Testament. And Jesus even said it. There's going to be people who say, Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say. He's like, you can't say master, but not do what I say. There's something wrong there. You're deceiving yourself. And so as a church, man, we want to be a church that helps people find the Jesus of the Bible every single day. That is the mission. That is the vision. And so final thought, discovering or finding Jesus, discovering and pursuing Christ. Why, why does it matter? It's the essence of Christianity. Not only is it the most important thing in the world, not only is it the only pathway back to God, but it is the essence of Christianity. You know, Jesus never taught people to say a prayer or accept him into their lives as an add-on. Oh, this is my Sunday gig. This is whatever. I say a prayer every once in a while. I do a devotion. That's not what he said. And we are foolish to say anything else than what he said. What did he say? He told people to lay down their lives in submission to his lordship. You give, it up, you give all of it up in return for the forgiveness of sins, and it is worth it. You still win. Over and over, Jesus told people this, live ready. Not say a prayer, not think that you're okay with God because you were born into a right family or anything. Live ready. Live ready. You got a pen, you're going to have to write fast, but here we go. Luke chapter 12. Here's what he says to them. He said to the disciples, don't fear men. Don't fear men. They can only, he says, all they can do is kill you. And you're like, that's a pretty big deal. (laughs) We would agree, right? That's a pretty big deal. But what does he say? Don't fear men who all they can do is kill your body. You need to fear God who once he's killed your body can throw your soul into hell. There is something worse than death. There is something worse than death, and that is it. And he's like, not this fear of like terror. He's like, you're respecting, you're trying to please the wrong, the wrong person. You're pleasing people and not him. He says, don't do it. Luke 13, he says this, like we said, you work hard. Work hard to enter that narrow door. And it's not our works, it's our response to what he's done, but don't miss the door. Luke 14, he says, if you want to follow me, count the cost. 
wait, what? There's a cost? Yeah, there's a cost. It's not just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus because I get, get, get out of hell free card. No. He's like, it's going to cost you everything. Every decision in your life is going to be weighed out by a new master now. I was talking with a young kid this week. He's like, since I became passionate about following Christ, I've lost all my friends. Yeah, because it's going to cost something. And he's like, you know what? I don't really care. I want Christ. It will cost you something. Today, maybe you're here and like, uh, I don't know, you know, I, I want the forgiveness. I want the, the freedom on the inside. I want the, my conscience to be clear. I want, I want all of that. There's a cost, but I'm telling you it's worth it. You know, a friend of mine sent me an email this week talking about how Christians are like a boat on the water. It's like a, a safe haven in the storms of cultures, the stormy waves around us. The church is meant to be this boat, this lifeboat on the water. If you're drowning in the things, you want to find a boat. You want to find one like that. You don't want to find one like this. Like this. What is this? What is this a picture of? It's a picture of church where culture has just permeated so much it no longer has any ability to save. There's no lighthouse anymore. If we just say, oh yeah, we'll preach a Jesus that fits everybody's, everybody's wish and wants. We've got no, we've got nothing. We have nothing. And the gospel, the gospel is incredibly powerful because it saves anyone and everyone. Luke 21, Jesus said this in verse 24. He goes on, he says, watch out. He's talking to his disciples. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness or by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware. He's like, I'm going to return. Don't let, don't be surprised. Don't let it catch you like a trap. He says, that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. So keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape the coming horrors and stand before the son of man. Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus talks about his return and how we should be a living. He says to those in the church, verse nine of Matthew 24, just write him down, look him up. He says, you'll be arrested persecuted and killed that's a cost he says you're going to be hated all over the world because you're my followers that's a cost many are going to turn away from me and say it wasn't i can't do it they're going to betray and hate each other many false prophets are going to appear and deceive many people saying you know jesus is okay with that it's okay it's okay many of those are coming sin's going to be rampant everywhere why because we just accept it he says and the love of many will grow cold as a result Verse 13, but what? The one. Man, there's one who endures. The one who's on that narrow path. The one who finds a narrow door. That one will be saved. And the good news of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world. And all nations will hear. And then the end will come. He says, man, this is like the, the, the end, the last days. Can I say that? Either Christ is going to come back in our lifetime or you're going to breathe your last breath in your lifetime. One of those things is going to happen. Are you ready for that? Then Jesus says, you better live ready. And you'll find story after story after story if, as you read through the Gospels. Let me give you the couple in, in uh, Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus, uh, he just simply goes on and tells a story about two servants. He's like, a master goes away and he leaves servants in charge. He says, there's two types. There's one servant who's like, man, the master's left me re- responsible. I'm going to manage his, his stuff and I'm going to feed his other servants. I'm going to take care of it. And the master returns and says, well done, good and faithful servant. He says, on the other side, there's one who thinks the master's never going to return. He's not coming back anytime soon. He says he begins beating the others, begins partying, begins carousing. He says the master shows up unexpectedly and says, hey, it's a day of reckoning. And what do they find out? He's like, oh, I didn't know. And he's like, yeah, you know what? You worthless servant. You didn't do what I asked you to do. The, tr- the truth is both of them were the servants. Both of them were. So in the church today, it's, it's the people of the church he's talking to. He's like, hey, it's not about just saying a prayer. It's live ready for my return. What will I find when I come back and return? And for you here today, there's a real good little test you can say. Like, are you hoping for Jesus' return? 
If he were to return today, would you be like, oh, finally, let's go. Let's get out of here. Straight out of this planet, right? Or are you going to be like, oh, shoot, Jesus, hold on a second. I got to get married first. I don't want Jesus to come back. I haven't built that house yet. I don't want Jesus to come back. I haven't made my million yet. I don't want Jesus to come back. I haven't like figured out how to conquer that sin yet, whatever it is. All he wants is find you pursuing him. That's it. Man, and we, we, we are like, oh, no, we can, have, we can have both sides. No, there isn't two sides. It's that pursuing Christ. He says, what will he find? In the next chapter, he talks about 10 bridesmaids getting ready for a wedding. And he says, See, there's 10 of them, and, and then they're, they're all supposed to be going to the wedding. That's why they're there. And he says, when the bridegroom is a little bit late and coming back, he's like, the five of them, um, they're, they're just not prepared. They're just like, oh, whatever. And five of them are. And what happens? The bridegroom does return. And he says, okay, it's time to go to the wedding. And five of them are like, oh, wait, we don't have enough oil. Hold that thought. We're going to go to town, get all the stuff right, and we'll be back. What happens? He moves on with the other five. They get to the door, and it says they knock on the door. Lord, open up. We're here now. And he's like, I'm sorry. It's too late. You weren't ready when I returned. Why? With Christianity. Christianity is not about, like I said, a prayer, and I hope I get in. It's live ready. It's pursue Jesus every single day that when he comes back and finds, he's like, yeah, man, Mark, well done, my good and faithful servant. I found you living ready. I found you pursuing me today. And then finally he tells the story of three servants where he gives them giftings. He gives them talents. And he says, here, here's 10 bags of silver, five bags of silver, one bag of silver. And he says to these, or five, two, and one, he says to these guys, like, hey, here's stuff that I'm giving you. Now use it for my benefit. Not for their own. He's like, use it for my benefit. Live for my purposes, for my kingdom. And when he returns, what does he find? He finds one. He says, hey, this guy, he's like, man, turn five into ten. Man, you're a faithful servant. Enter the blessing. And the second one, he's like, I had two. I turned to five. He's like, you, well done, faithful servant. Enter the blessing. And then he finds the other one. He's like, well, I kind of hid my money. I didn't really want to do the whole church thing. I just kind of wanted to like, you know, I, I said the prayer. I'm your servant, right? I should be in. He's like, you worthless servant. He's not living ready. He casts them out. It's like, man, those are stories that we need to really take into consideration today as Christians. Are we living ready? Are you living ready? And today, maybe you hear this message, you're like, I liked the old Mark better. <laughs> this feels really judgmental. You know, judgment or encouragement, you got to figure out which one I meant. If it's judgment and you feel the conviction on the inside this morning, there's one solution. Pursue Jesus. And today, if you're like, man, this is encouraging. This is what I'm doing. There's one solution. Pursue Jesus. Both sides today is, oh, my, my heart for you is that, that we would be the church that pursues Christ, that we find, discover, and pursue Christ every single day as a church. That's what we want to help people do, and I hope today helps you. Final thought, closing, how do you do it? You're like, Mark, you set up all that stuff. Now we've got to have like a list of the how. The how is really, really easy. The how is simple. There's only one thing we've got to do. Really, it's one thing. What, what the writer, the, the author to, to Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 12, let's run the race, let's live the life set before us by doing this, by keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's it. All we do is the keeping. Whatever it takes to keep your eyes on Jesus is all that you have to worry about. The pursuing Christ thing, it's, it's a pretty simple question. We got, we got one job. It's like, am I turning away from sin today and turning to him? One job. Am I... Am I keeping my eyes on him? Am I staying connected to him every day? I'm not trying to bear fruit. Am I trying to get my Christian life all in order? No, I'm just, Jesus, I just want to stay connected to you. Whatever that takes. Whatever that takes. So how about you today? Which one describes you today? And you're like, Mark, that's kind of a little meddling. Well, then don't take it from me, but take it from Paul as he writes in our final scripture, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves, he says to the church. 
Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you failed the test of genuine faith. And that's the word for our church today. Examine yourselves. Are you pursuing Christ? It's a simple question. Are you pursuing him? Because you either are or you aren't. And it's like the target. Christ is the target. Because maybe you answer that question and say, well, I'm doing church. You know, I'm doing church, I, go, I, do, I pray, I do devos, I do Bible study, I do worship, Sabbath, silence, solitude, all the stuff you're talking about. All of that is peripheral. Those aren't the goal. They're only meant as tools to pursue Christ. So this morning, if you came here to do church, you missed the point. The, ch- the idea of getting together here today was to pursue Christ. If worship, it was like, it doesn't matter what songs they sing. God, I, I've been worshiping you all week, but man, I get to do that with others today. I just want to know you. As you get into the Word and Bible study, it's not, oh, how many precept studies can I finish and check off another thing? It's like, God, I want to know you, and I'll search your Word deeply just to know you and then to know you more. With kids' church, man, Lord, I want those kids... I want them to know Christ for themselves. And it's like, you've got to put the oxygen mask on first before you can help them. You can't help them find Christ if you haven't found Christ. And the same goes for me. Preaching, my hope is that it would just drop a spark in your heart and it would find that spot where it just burns into flame and consumes you. You're like, man, I've got to go home. I don't know what Mark's on, but I want to know Christ. That coffee was a little strong. <laughs> to be a part of a small group. Why? So I can share all my stories? No, because I want to pursue Christ. I want to find Christ and find community, whatever it may be. The question is, are you pursuing him today? Because there's nothing else that matters. And maybe you're like, that's my last Sunday here. I pray that this message never leaves your heart because it matters. It may not be comfortable, but it matters. And if I could find myself in that place, then any one of us can. And so my encouragement today and invitation is, Do you want to be a part of a church with a mission that helps people find Christ every single day? If so, welcome aboard. Let's go win our world. Let's go point them to the only one who can save, and let's pursue him because he is a treasure worth pursuing. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your word today. It's living, it's powerful, it's active. It, it, oh man, it cuts right to our heart. Holy Spirit, I just asked for boldness in being able to share this this morning, but I, I now just ask that people's hearts would be open to what you want to do next. May they hear your voice. God, may they sense your calling on them. May any condemnation or judgment be left to the side as they see your encouragement to run towards you. Father, for those who don't know you today yet, oh man, Lord, I pray that, that there would be just an openness in their hearts, a questioning, just a simple seeking of you, a response to what you've done. Father, thank you for the good news and that it truly is good, that its end result is great. <laughs> thank you for that. Lord, as we find people this week that, are without hope. Father, help us, I pray, to share this truth in love with them. May they find the way, the truth, and the life for themselves. And thank you for rescuing us. We pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen.